Well, I want to say hello as we turn to the message. I want to say hello to the Harbor City kids. Uh, welcome, kids. I know that many of you are sitting with your parents. Um, some of you, your, your parents are you know, moving you off into something else. Um, but, uh, you're, but a lot of you are sitting with your parents during online church. And so, good morning. Good morning. Today, uh, I'm going to be talking about a really important question. And it might be a question that you yourself have thought of. Maybe you even asked one of your parents. But it's this. When bad things happen, is it because I did something wrong? Something bad happened in your life. Have you ever wondered, man, did I do something wrong? Did the bad thing happen because I did something wrong? Like, is God mad at me? Wait till you see the surprising answer that Jesus gives to this question. We're in a series called Why? God and Suffering. Uh, And last week we talked with Bill McCurin, one of our elders, about race. And the theme that emerged from that was, uh, it was about how to enter into the sufferings of others and keep Jesus at the center. The audio for that, uh, that interview, that conversation with Bill is on our website in the sermon section on our website. You can, you can chase it down there. Well, in this series, why, uh, we've begun to learn a lot about how God wants to be a part of our suffering. Um, that when we suffer, it's, it's not God's fault, but he's always here to help. And so we saw in Psalm 23 that God is with us and he blesses us in our suffering. We saw in James 1 that God uses our suffering to make us strong and mature. And then we saw in John 4 that even when suffering is our fault, uh, like from our bad decisions, from our sin, or if it's because of the fault of other people and things that they've done to us who make us suffer, that even then Jesus meets us in our suffering and he sets us free. And we're just beginning to scratch the surface of what the Bible has to say in this series about suffering. Well, so today's message is called When Suffering Isn't Our Fault. So John 4 deals maybe with a situation where the suffering was our fault. Um, we're going to be looking at John chapter 9. Uh, And John chapter 9, it starts verses 1 and 2 in this way. It says, as he, that's Jesus, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? There it is, the classic question, right? There's an assumption underneath this question, isn't there? Someone sinned. Someone did something bad to make this happen. And this awful thing, that someone was blind from birth, this awful thing happened because God is mad and because God is punishing either this man or his parents because of what they did. And so the disciples are saying, Jesus, which is it? Which is it? We think this way sometimes, don't we? I must have done something wrong for this to have happened. You ever thought that way? More often, maybe your experience is like mine, I know exactly what I did. And I know that it's now coming back to haunt me. Some flavors of this kind of thinking My parenting is the reason for everything wrong with my kids. Others might have, I mean, others think, 
that divorce has stained my life beyond God's blessing. Still else, like, I will never be free from the abuse I suffered from my parents. And so we go to Jesus. Who can we blame, Jesus? Who can we blame? Is it this man or his parents that he was born blind? In John 9, verse 3, Jesus gives us an answer that is very surprising. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So Jesus says, Both of your options are wrong. Both of them. He says, I, Jesus says, I will not live in your dichotomy. I will not choose between the only options that you have presented. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus says, you think it's either or, but there's another way entirely. He says, your two options, they're both wrong. I, mean, I feel this way so much about politics. Um, that both options are wrong, but that's another conversation. Um, it can be a fun study. This might be something that you might want to do. Uh, it's a fun study to read through the Gospels and see how many times Jesus was asked a yes or no or an either or question, and then see how rarely he chooses either option. See how rarely Jesus chooses yes or no. Most often, he always leads us beyond the two options to God. And so Jesus says, let me show you a different perspective. Let me show you another way to think about all of this. And what, what does Jesus say? What's this third option? Jesus says, God will use this blindness. God will use this suffering to display his own works through this man. Jesus is saying, this man is going to have the privilege, the joy, the dignity, the importance of being someone in whom God shows that he is working and is alive and active in the world. And this, this is so comforting for us in our suffering. This is so comforting to us that God can bring good out of all of our suffering that God can use our suffering to display his works. Now pay attention here. It's, it's not that God causes our suffering in order to do these things. That's not what the text is saying. But God is present in our suffering to bring good out of it. And so Jesus says, it's that the works of God might be displayed in him. He's like, look, it's not this man or his parents that sinned, but let me show you something else. God's going to use this to show his works. And so what does he do? What, what is the good that God brings out of this? Well, first, God's work is shown when Jesus heals this man. And this is extraordinary. I mean, if you've been in the church for a long time, if you've read the Bible, you know there are these these healing stories from Jesus. And they are truly extraordinary. This man, we know he was an adult. That's all we know, because part of the text says that he is of age. 
His parents um, say he's of age. He can speak for himself. And so we know that he is, I mean, at least 18, 20. Um, he's of age. He's an adult. And so this man was in darkness for his entire life. And all of a sudden now he sees. He was blind and now he sees. And Jesus gave him sight. Um, we used to have a scientist. He was, he was an engineer, worked for Qualcomm, was part of our church. And I remember talking to him about this passage one time. And he said that the thing that was extraordinary to him was that the amount of work that it takes to do a healing like this. And he, he kind of went into the science of how the eye works and all of the neurons and the, and the, the blood vessels and all the things that make an eye work. And I, I know other scientists who have told me that the eye is one of the reasons why they believe that evolution without God is impossible. Because you just there's no way something this complicated could happen on its own. There's no way it could have just come from nowhere. And so, um, so Jesus, in this split second, and I never thought about this this way, so back to the engineer, not the doctor, but back to the engineer. Um, he said that in order for Jesus to heal this man, he would have had to not just fix his eye, but then fix all the connections and fix the receptors and all of that stuff, just the entire train. And he was blown away as an engineer because he understands how complicated it would be to try to build something like that. And so, man, so this was extraordinary. Extraordinary for Jesus to do this. And it's so extraordinary that it ignites the whole town. The whole town is buzzing about this news. Everyone's talking about it. Um, all of a sudden, people realize that Jesus is amazing. And so, so healing is this first work of God that's displayed in this man. But Jesus didn't say, Jesus didn't say that the work of God might be displayed in him. Jesus said in verse 3, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so the healing was one work that God did, this extraordinary thing where God now shows that he is in Jesus. Your Jesus is the God who can heal. I mean, whichever way you want to think about it. Um, and so that's the first work is healing. So what further works of God are displayed in this man? I would say that uh, the second way to think about this is that Jesus makes this man strong. He makes this man strong. He gives this man a new identity. He gives this man dignity. He gives this man honor. He gives this man, and it all translates as he builds into this man. He gives this man, it translates into humble confidence. Like this man is confident. And how do we see this? Well, we see it in his testimony. Okay? Because there were religious leaders then at the time who did not like Jesus. They didn't want Jesus to be with God. They didn't want Jesus to be validated as a teacher because Jesus was a threat to their power. If Jesus was who he said he was, then they were in trouble because they weren't following Jesus. And so they didn't want Jesus to take their power and their authority. And so they're grilling this man. <clears throat> Instead of celebrating the miracle that happened, they're grilling him. They grill him once. And then in verse 24 of this same chapter, um, they pull him in a second time. It says this, it says, so for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man, Je they're talking about Jesus, that this man is a sinner. And they're saying, look, 
stop testifying, stop talking about Jesus. We know that Jesus is, is wrong. We know that Jesus is a sinner. In verse 25, I, I love this verse. It's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Because, you know, um, if you've ever struggled to share your faith, if you ever struggled because you're worried that if you talk about your relationship with Jesus, someone else is going to bring up an objection and you won't know what to say. They're going to bring up something in science. They're going to bring up something in morals or philosophy or something. And you're going to be like, oh man, wait, that seems to contradict Jesus. And I'm not really sure what to say. Like if you've ever been there, I've been there. And if you've ever been there, man, verse 25 is for you. Because these religious leaders with all of their theology, with all of their, all of their like pressure like, they are pressuring this guy. They want to cancel him. And so they're like, we know Jesus is a sinner. Verse 25, this man answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Drop the mic. Like, that's it. Like, it's, it's done. I love this because this guy's like, look, you guys have arguments about who Jesus is. You want to say Jesus is a sinner. Look, I don't know anything about what you're arguing about. I don't know anything about what you're fighting about. I don't know why you don't like Jesus. I don't know why he maybe doesn't like you. I don't know any of that. I don't, I don't, I don't care about any of that, but here's what I know. Here's what I know. I was blind and now I see. Friends, this is the work of God in this man. God gave this man these words. And then John gives these words to us so that they can be ours. In any conversation that you have with anybody, if you ever feel pressure or if you ever feel like you're not sure what to say, if you ever feel like you have been I don't know, out-thought, out-thunk, out-logicked, out-whatevered, out-evidenced, you can come back and say, look, I'm out of my field here. Look, you know more than I do on this. Look, you've studied this clearly in a way that I haven't thought of before. But here's what I know. Jesus has entered into my life, and now I'm different. And so this... This is an invitation for us to ask ourselves the question, how has Jesus ministered to us? Where have we experienced Jesus? Um, in what ways have we been blind? And then Jesus gives us sight. What difference has Jesus made in your life? You think about whether you're a brand new Christian or whether you've been a Christian for, you know, forever. What are the things that Jesus has done for you? This passage, this conversation invites us to put our story of Jesus and his work in our lives in this, in this format. I was an arrogant, obnoxious vomiter of the Bible on people. And Jesus is teaching me how to hear. 
I was someone who would make people feel awful if they didn't believe whatever the Bible said as I corrected them. But because of Jesus, now I'm learning how to gently and lovingly bring people into a greater experience of his truth. And I was committed to satisfying all of my sexual appetites. And then I met Jesus. And now I just want to honor him with everything in my life, including that area. I used to manipulate people to get anything that I wanted from them. And then I met Jesus, and he is teaching me how to love, how to care, how to put other people's needs ahead of my own. There are so many ways that I have been blind, and Jesus has given me sight. Now, this doesn't mean that I always see. Well, <laughs> let's see, how do we apply this analogy? This doesn't mean that I'm always walking in the sight that Jesus has given me, right? Um, there are times when I still fail and fall and stumble. Um, and then there are other passages. Then I go back to John 4 <laughs> with the woman at the well, and Jesus names those things, and I name them with him, and he sets me free again. Um, but here... Man, here's one thing that I know, is that Jesus has changed my life. And so, man, this man, this man who was born blind, this man who he and his parents probably suffered enormously, um, God has done his work in this man by giving him sight, but then also giving him this humble confidence. He has gifted this man with a story, a story of who God is, a story that God is active and alive in his life. And so God gave this man an experience of him that could never be refuted. And so, and it goes on, um, this conversation that this man, this poor man, um, but he's not poor anymore. He's like confident. He's walking in and he's doing it. And it's not just here. Like this guy, even in the moment, in this conversation, he grows. He actually has more to say than just this. Uh, we see this in verse 29 and following. Um, it says this. It's the, so the religious leaders reply back to this guy and they say, we know that God has spoken through Moses, but as for this man, as for Jesus, we do not know where he comes from. And look at the man says in verse 30. He goes, why? This is an amazing thing. Just picture him saying it like this. Why? This is an amazing thing. Look at what we have here. Look at this. And then here he comes. He's got four statements that he makes. He says, you don't know where he comes from. And yet he opened my eyes. And he goes on, verse 31. We know... He's like using their language. And they're like, we know that God spoke through Moses. We don't know where this guy goes. Verse 31, the man says, we know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. We all know that. <laughs> He's building this logical case. Verse 32, 
Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. You know, so proposition after proposition after proposition. Um, we know God doesn't listen to sinners. If anyone worships God, does his will. God listens to him. Never since the world began, it's anybody ever heal anyone born blind. Verse 33. Here's my conclusion, guys. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Pretty sound reasoning. There is great clarity. There is great logic here. And this man, he stands up to the religious leaders. Like they had been studying the Bible for their entire lives. They were the experts. And God gave this man who was born blind an experience of him that they could not refute. It's amazing. Like this is the work of God. This man goes from blind all of his life to seeing and then having confidence, confidence that he knows God, that God has done this for him, that God has worked this in his life. The works of God, healing, humble confidence, honor, dignity, a new identity, and he's standing in that identity. He's got God's smile on his face, you know, down from heaven on his life. And then one of the ways that John describes this, um, what this man receives and the works of God that are alive in his life um, is in verse 35. Because the religious leaders, they just kick the guy out. It's almost like they close, they're like little kids, like la, 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 can't hear you, can't hear you, can't hear you. And they kick him out of the synagogue. That's what they do, they just kick him out. And so Jesus heard, verse 35, that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man answers, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Because he's blind. He doesn't know that this was the same guy that healed him before. Verse 37, Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And so the healing, the confidence, it culminates in a relationship with Jesus. But this blind man is healed. This blind man is given dignity, honor, confidence, this new identity. Friends, with the gospel, our identity is received and not achieved. We can't save ourselves. We can't make ourselves good enough. We don't have to with Jesus. Jesus grants us a new identity as a gift by his grace. And so here we see God. God wants to do the same thing in our lives. Jesus ends up turning this story into a metaphor, and he starts talking about spiritual blindness. Um, and I think it's helpful for us because we realize this isn't just an amazing story about this man born blind, but it's a story for us too. It's a story for you and for me, we who have been blind, we who still have areas of blindness in our own hearts. Jesus is knocking on the door of our lives. He's coming and he's asking us, are you willing to admit your blindness? Are you willing to admit that there's areas that you can't see? 
Are you willing to admit that there's areas where you fall short, where you're not treating other people the way that you ought to? Jesus says, if you're willing to admit that, then he will let you see. But if you close your heart to those things, Jesus says you remain in spiritual blindness. And so God wants us to have his works alive in our lives. God wants us to turn to him in our suffering so that we'll come to him and his works can be displayed in our lives. Like this is what God wants for us. Now, often we think that in order to see God, in order to see God, we think we've got to experience a miracle. Like that's what we think so often. We think that if God is going to work, then it's going to have to be this miraculous thing that God's going to have to make us physically be able to see. He's going to have to heal us from our sickness. He's going to have to um, like fix that physical problem that we have, or he's going to have to fix that relationship. He's going to have to give us money that we don't have, right? And we pray for these things. We ask God to bring these things to us. And we often think that in order for God to work in our lives, that he's got to do one of these miraculous things. We got to get the miracle. More often though, more often though, God's works are displayed in us when we don't get the miracle. More often, it's when God does not heal us that his works are even more powerfully shown. What do I mean by that? Well, look, the testimonies of the miraculous, they're really cool, but sometimes they're, they're kind of inaccessible. Right? There are people who have been physically healed. There are people around you who might acknowledge that, or, or when you're healed, other people, when they hear that story, they think, oh man, that's great. Excited for you, but it's hard to relate to that in a sense. Like I can be excited for you, but that doesn't give hope to me because how do I know if God's going to do that in my life? Or I haven't seen God doing that in my life. But if you've been transformed in the heart by God, if God has given you this new identity, this confidence, if you love God when you're not healed, that's an even more powerful display of God's works in your life. So God can do this in your suffering too. There's a great scene in a movie called The Robe. It's an old movie, um, and it's, it's a, there's a conversation, a scene where there's a Roman soldier talking to a woman who is crippled. And the Roman soldier says to this woman, he says, we're building a new world. Like the Roman Empire is filling the world and we are dominating and, and we're conquering everything. We're building this new world. And he tells her, he says, charity or love does not build the world. Power does. He says, worlds are not built on charity. And she, crippled, lying there, talking with him, she says, perhaps we have something better than power. We have hope. He says, how can you of all people say that? She says, what do you mean? And he says, you say that he could work miracles, and yet he left you as he found you. And then I want to share with you what she says back to him, because it's amazing. She says, 
I used to wonder at that myself until faith taught me the answer. He could have healed my body and it would have been natural for me to laugh and sing. And then I came to understand that he had done something even better for me. Done something better for her, leaving her in the condition that he found her, leaving her crippled. He said this, he had chosen me for his work. He left me as I am so that all others like me might know that their misfortune needn't deprive them of happiness. That's it. That's it right there. You wonder why God doesn't heal? Because he needs the world to be full of men and women who know that they have been chosen by God to show everyone that their misfortune doesn't have to deprive them of their happiness. That your suffering doesn't have to deprive you of joy. That your suffering doesn't have to deprive you of knowing that God is with you in the moments. He is with you in the suffering. And he can give you joy even when he leaves you in the condition that you're in. Because God didn't leave her in that condition. God changed her from the inside out. God radically changed her heart. And so in the scene, going back to the scene, the Roman then says, it is beyond reason that anybody should think as you do. And her response is, if you'd only known him. If you'd only known Jesus. You'd say, yeah, it is beyond reason, but it's not beyond faith to think this way. Friends, do you know him? Have you forgotten that he is with you in your suffering? Have you forgotten that he wants to use your suffering so that God's works would be displayed in your life, so that you would have confidence and dignity and honor so that you'd be able to have a testimony to share with people that's even more powerful than if you had been healed. Because if you've been healed, everyone expects you to worship. Everyone expects you to give praise. But when you're not healed, when you're not healed, your praise is infinitely more valuable. Your praise is infinitely more powerful because it draws everyone in, whether they get a miracle from God or not. And so, if you're with us, you're tuning in online and you're not a Christian, Jesus is reaching out to you today. Would you believe in him? Trust him and he will do a miracle in your heart. He will rework your life and give you a new perspective that is beyond dichotomies that don't satisfy. And he will lead you into the presence of God and bless you in your suffering. He'll be with you and he will bring incredible good out of it. And then for the family of God, friends, beloved, like, have you forgotten this? If you have, 
turn your heart toward this Jesus and ask him, Jesus, what are the works that you want to do through me in this suffering? Where are the ways I can see you so that we can do this together, so that my response can come from the fullness of my relationship with you? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for meeting us in our suffering. And thank you for giving hope that even when suffering isn't our fault, when suffering comes, we have an opportunity for strength, for dignity, for honor, for confidence. Because when we when we love you, when we worship you in the midst of our suffering, we sound a message to our own hearts, to the hearts of our church community, to people around us. And Jesus, thank you that so many of, our, of the people in our church, so many members of our family have been through so much suffering and are seeing you powerfully at work in the midst of it. God, help us to bring our suffering to each other so that we can help each other to find you in the midst of it. And then touch those lives, Jesus, that are not in relationship with you yet. Give them hope. Give them a sense of your strength that they would commit to you. Draw near to them and lead them into your presence, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.